was light enough to use the binoculars, he glassed the valley below. The Sad Boys Book Club. Looking for anything of color, any movement, any trace of standing smoke. You forget what you want to remember. Then, he just sat there holding the binoculars and watching the ashen daylight congeal over the land. He only knew the child was his warrant. He said, if he is not the word of God, God never spoke. Oh man, Daniel, you know I've been uh I've been walking down this road for uh for weeks now. Oh really? Yeah. Uh you know what would sound really good at a time like this? Um uh, taking a shower? No. Eating food? No. Drinking an ice cold Coca Cola? You're goddamn right. Oh, I think I found something. Let me just du- dust this off. Ah, uh. <coughs> oh, sorry. It's the it's the plot convenient tuberculosis talking. Uh. Oh, okay. Oh, that was such a weak that was such a weak fizz. Oh, but I got it. What is this? Let me taste it. Oh my god. That's an ice cold, refreshing Coca Cola. Oh. Oh, everything's worth it now. You know, I, I, I'm kind of getting thirsty here, too. I, I think I would like also a, an ice-cold Coca-Cola. Because that's what we do on the road. We, we, we have to share everything, you know. Oh, no, this is mine. There ain't no, there ain't no boy that's going to tell me to, to share my Coca-Cola with you. You're on your own. Okay, well... I'm 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 very hurt by this. Um, I very I'm I'm a little bit I'm a little bit taken aback here. Um, I'm just gonna take my shopping cart full of canned peaches and um, and pork and beans, and I'm I'm going the other way. I'm I'm heading. You're heading south. I'm heading north. This is it. The parting of the ways. Welcome to the Sad Boys Book Club. My name's Dusty. <laughs> And I'm Daniel. And we are still not officially sponsored by Coca-Cola, but I'm open to it. I will I will read any ad you give me. Yeah, so to, so this is uh, part two of uh, Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Indeed, and we have covered the middle third of this book at this point. Yep, we're, this is the, yeah, as you, as you pointed out, we're kind of doing a, a three-part uh, read of the book, and uh, I, I think for the for the purposes of if anybody is following us, uh... so basically we're tackling this in like the the first part was ninety five pages, and the second and third part are going to be ninety six pages a piece. Okay, yeah, some, some that's that's roughly how it worked out. So, which is a good place to stop. I don't think uh, Cormac McCarthy is doing a hard three act structure, but I do think very loosely i think we're landing in just about the right spot every time yeah not uh not as much action this time around not that there was much to begin with in the in the in the previous episode but um i i feel like we we're getting it it almost feels like vignettes that are strung together as we're following these two during their their trip to the south yeah, I think that that's fair to say. It, it's 
this time, I mean, there are some particularly striking vignettes, and vignettes worth discussing. But sometimes it feels like moment to moment, not a lot is happening. And I think, for some people, I, some ha- especially hapless um, uh, high school students and, and uh, teenagers that I've seen have make uh, do reviews of this book, um, that's one thing that I, I find that they find very um, difficult, probably because they're trying to find some sort of hook for their their essay or their whatever. And uh, it's, but you know, I on the whole, it's 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 good. And in the moment, if you're reading it, particularly if you're maybe particularly if you don't have to have that sort of um, the impending like essay or what what have you hanging over your head it's a lot it's still pretty enjoyable but it can feel at times that it's like what what exactly is happening here yeah i will say if i had to read this book 15 years ago for some sort of assignment related project i would have hated this book because they're really i don't i don't really feel like i could probably bullshit my way into getting like somewhere between 85 to 90 on, a, on an essay for this but I don't really feel like there is a huge amount in the way of huge literary analysis in the sense of what you could stumble upon as a teenager in school like professional book critics or literary analysis analyses whatever uh, or maybe someone a little more deep into the the book culture on like you know youtube or something could probably find a lot to talk about in this book but there's a really fine line between someone who does this more professionally and a teenager so i'm very glad that i never had to deal with this book in school because i feel like the way i'm approaching it now because this is really low stress all things considered we're just sitting here talking about it and that's that's about as low stress as you can get in terms of of critically analyzing a book. Uh, I find myself enjoying it a lot more than I know I would have if I would have had um, an impending grade scale over my head about this book. Sure. I I wouldn't say that it's devoid necessarily of literary things you could talk. You could talk about recurrent motifs like the the gray deadness of the world around them you know the cold and snow that all leads to like a very um like apocalyptic like uh, like very sim- symbolic of death and of the end and that kind of stuff you get uh, recurrent themes like uh, like dreams like the the father and the son often talk about dreams and dream sequences um you could talk about that kind of stuff you could talk about uh, like like cannibalism is a recurrent theme, you know, and and you don't not necessarily just the, the direct cannibalism that is well. There's not a lot direct cannibalism seen at this point, but it's it's mostly just kind of implied. Um, but they're well, not implied, but they they tell you about it, but it just doesn't. You you don't see, and then the the slovenly raider peeled back his mask and started feasting on a dude like that that not not in that explicit level but there's places where you can um 
you can you can either infer based on the clues they give you or the characters talk about incidents or known occurrences of that happening. Yeah, we really only see the before or the after. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see something um later in this in the final third of the book. Um but yeah, that's it's it's more thematic and then you can cut see like the the contrast between father and son, the relationship between father and son. I think there's there's enough there if you're looking for it, but it's like you said, I think if you're you're uh you know, you're having to do this for a grade, it would probably be quite a bit harder. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where like I said, I, I don't wanna say that I'm not trying to say that there's like no literary analysis in this book at all. I'm just my point is that as a teenager or even as a as a as a preteen, I could see how you would really struggle to find enough meat to really try and scrape by some sort of literary analysis on it. Because I mean, you're, you're a kid at the you're you're still growing and developing. I'm sure some people would have no problem doing this, but I do remember hearing because I think some classes did do the road back when we were in school. Maybe it was um, normal classes. Not not like AP classes. Maybe it was like the normal classes that did it. And I do remember hearing people talking about how boring they thought it was, and how it was hard. They they were struggling to do it. And I could totally see how someone, a teenager, uh, either who doesn't read at all, which I'm sure a lot don't, uh, or if they do read, they read things more akin to like sci-fi or fantasy, or just general fiction. Uh, getting something like this where there's barely any punctuation, there's no chapter breaks, and it's it's really told in not quite a stream of consciousness, but it's very it's a very kind of loosely told story where we're following a plot as it's going, but there's not really a lot of cohesion to it. It's it's just kind of it's about as as aimless as they are. If I if I could make a comparison here, um one vis- vision, not vision. Uh, one way that I'm I'm contextualizing the story in my head is like a, like a string of beads, you know, something something like that. So like you're 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 like grabbing, you're you're holding the string of beads, and perhaps like a, a, a rosary or some other thing like that. You're you're kind of you're touching, you're handling the beads like in these in these individual moments, these individual incidents. And then you move on to the next one. And while they are conceptually related, um, they are distinct enough from one another. And there's oftentimes enough of a separation that they feel like it. it is exactly what you're saying. It, it feels, everything feels like discrete incidents. Or maybe like a almost, not quite like a TV show, but something akin to that where like there's discrete episodes that make up a lo- a broader narrative in a loose sense, but there's not like um, necessarily a lot of plot that you would see in most novels. Yeah, I, I did think about using the term episodic to describe this as well. So I do think that that is a pretty apt comparison. Yeah, I, and I, I think you can I, you can't really discount either the amount of influence it's had on uh, contemporary art. You know, things like. The Last of Us, both the the television show and the the video game, uh, I think are both very heavily influenced by this novel. Uh, just just in general, like contem- contemporary post apocalyptic 
literature and and um, cultural cultural uh, products like video games, movies, TV. I think all seem to draw from this uh, pretty heavily. Yeah, it does certainly have a uh, an almost kind of modern feel to its uh, post-apocalyptic uh, setting and character moments, for lack of a better term, or not character moments, but just how the characters are established and how they act. Yeah, I think I think it's it's pretty influential. So I I would say, you know. I, I, I've been so far I've enjoyed the book it's it's very um, it can be often quite uh, challenging to read because you know sometimes things are it's like wow that is uh, that is a really bleak moment there and uh, sometimes so sometimes that's kind of like not and there's there's very little moments of like relief although in this this section that when we when I guess we're gonna talk about here in a little bit there is like one relatively like, uh, release of tension moment that is pretty uncharacteristic of the the book but like this is generally like things are bad and seem to be getting worse by the day general I'm gonna, experience i'm gonna throw a counterpoint and say that that was the most depressing section of the book so far uh, well i i think that's that's an interesting idea i've i've seen some people i did a little you know a little bit of reading about what what con opinions are on the book um i saw some people with a similar opinion to you I, we should definitely get into that when we uh when we talk about that section yeah i'm i'm going to try and stay a little vague until we get there but if 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 people have read the book i i i don't know if it's i'm going to assume it's in the movie so i'm going to say if you've seen the movie too you probably know what we're referring to but yeah, not not a huge amount to talk about. I would say before that section, because uh, it is a little bit more of the same with them uh, traveling down the road consistently. But we do get these these little kind of offbeat moments, so to say. Uh, they they are running low on food at this point. Um, we get a really nice moment uh, after the interaction, for lack of a better term, interaction with uh the cannibals but yeah they find this house eventually they they stay the night on the road because they have no other option and then when they wake up there are tracks of a wagon with with rubber tires and footprints that seemingly have just passed them by which is strange to say the least so the man is uh concerned rightly so and he grabs the boy and they they move on as fast as possible. They they do a really really smart move. They do here is they they make a bunch of tracks in the snow that are going and like looping around, making circles and going off and trailing to nothing before actually leaving, so as to throw off anyone that might try to look for them, just purely through their tracks in the snow because it had snowed pretty heavily uh, recently at this point. It knocked down trees too, which I thought was really strange. I, I guess the trees were so weak that this heavy snowfall just knocked a bunch of them down in the forest the, the couple days prior. Yeah. I mean, it's been a few years since the apocalypse and it seems to have been like a, a, a kind of like a somewhat fire oriented apocalypse. Like we'll, we'll talk, maybe we'll talk about that later when they see some of the, the victims and it, it gives us a little bit of a clue about the nature of what happened. But like trees like in the in the forest if you you know go up to like the rocky mountains and stuff like 
you'll see trees that are left up from like that have been burned and they're dead from like forest fires past but i I imagine like after after an amount of time like a a period of years especially with like all the kind of like snow and you know that kind of accumulation over time the trees would just kind of they, they probably do eventually collapse yeah so they find this this it was like a something akin to like a mansion or a plantation house or something like that, right? It seemed it seemed to describe it as a pretty lavish, large house. Yeah, that I, the plantation house is definitely the the vibe I got from it. I don't know if they used that term. I think they just said mansion, but and I and I and I say this with the full negative connotation that plantation house carries. It does. It did give that vibe. Yeah, I imagine uh, there's probably more plantation houses in Blood Meridian, but that's a different story. Uh, so they, they get to the house, the kid's obviously freaked, and this is, like, the only time in the story so far I feel like the kid is rightfully so freaked and trying to leave. He finds, um, it's like the door to the shed, or, or like, a basement, or, like, a cellar or something. Yeah, it was a basement. Yeah, and it's, it's padlocked, so he goes and finds a shovel, and breaks the door open, and they go down there, and there's a bunch of naked people... And there's a guy lying in the middle of the room on a mattress, and his legs are gone up to the hip. And they realize, oh, these are, uh, these are essentially, this is essentially food storage. These these people are being held down here and being taken one by one and chopped up and eaten. So, uh oh. So he grabs the boy and they get out of there as fast as they can. Uh, the men are coming back. It's like I think it's two men and a woman, right? It's it's at least at least two men and a woman. Maybe there's a little more. Uh, yeah, it was it was something like that. They're coming back, so they have to essentially sneak out. They run. They they take cover in the in the brush far enough away to where they can be hidden, uh, but they can't really move any further because if they happen to walk out, they'll see them. So they 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 take some uh, some refuge there for a night or so or until it's it's dark enough that they can move freely but doing so um rip to the shopping cart uh, it's gone and all of their stuff in it so all they really have yeah. is the the things they're wearing on their back i i also want to point out here um you know a couple of things uh, you know the obviously the scene in the um in the cellar is is beyond horrific and is one of those things that i was thinking about when i was saying there are difficult passages to read because there is one man that just that's just horrible to think about. Like there's they he's alive and they're just like cutting him off slowly at pieces at a time and they're just like cauterizing him. It just which is you know one of the, like a, a profoundly um, grotesque thing to imagine. It's like what 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 happened to you, Cormac McCarthy? <laughs> um, but uh, another thing, perhaps more important. Uh, thematically that I wanted to to talk about is like you were saying when he when they're having to go into hiding and they're trying to they're like they're in the field and they're like hiding in in brush or some something to that effect this is one of the time when when maybe this is the first time that we see in the book where the father is is really confronted with the uh, the situation where he may have to um, kill the boy Right, because he he knows, you know, conf- confronted with um, horrors beyond imagining, you know, the the idea of this cellar full of of um, p- 
people reduced to livestock essentially you know he's he he can't let the boy be captured so he's he's kind of that this is he start this is the maybe the first time where he starts to think maybe i have to uh pull the trigger and i think at one point he he gives the boy the gun right and he tells him to put it in his mouth right? yeah yeah if they if they get found that he should essentially kill himself instead of being caught by these cannibals yeah which is just you know unbelievably you know an, an incredibly you know horrific thing to think about to have to ask your son to do but it just i don't know it, and it kind of it kind of it reminded me a little bit of the uh conversation that the father had with the mother you know obviously you know again we you know i think there's different you can you know different people may feel differently about the mother but i think this kind of it it did make me think about that you know that she was very um maybe she's not right per se but it 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 shows that she is very she was very clear-eyed about the the danger and the 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 reality that they're facing you know and so that was that was a very um and you know that whole part was very was very dark um they also they also talk about the uh the night a little bit in that section they they they, a lot of imagery of uh of darkness and cold and of the grave you know the the nights are described at one point as casket black you know so it's just it's i think you know symbolically you know that's that's what he's doing and it, it may not be particularly novel per se but it is very um very effective yeah, I don't think you need to have some massive vocabulary of words in, or, in order to get your your point across. I think saying something casket black is it paints a good enough picture. You don't need to you yeah. don't need to whip out these crazy fancy words to get the same point across. Although, as we said in the last episode, he does occasionally like he'll be like very like normal, very plain spoken, and then he'll he'll grab a word that that'll have you reaching for the. Uh, I guess you look to look it up on Google or something. Yeah, we still got a few in this section, and uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I don't know the word, but I understand the context well enough that I didn't, I didn't need to see the exact definition. So after they they finally make it away, they make it away from the cannibals. Not really anything comes of it. They they're able to hide out and move on. And they come to an orchard, and while the boy is sleeping, the uh, the man finds he finds ostensibly some some long since rotten apples in the field, and he goes into the house, and he is able to find a secret hatch in the floor that reveals I I don't really what, what was it a reservoir. Uh. Are you talking about what are you what are you talking about? Are you talking about the when they they find like the are you talking about the well? Oh, was it a well? Yeah, I, th- I think I th- uh, that's that's what I th- yeah they found they found a well, and the, this is this is before the the when they found the um, the basement that you're talking about, right? No, no, this is immediately after the cannibals where he finds the apples. And Sorry, not the not the cannibal basement, the like the the bomb shelter or whatever. No, this is before that. 
Okay, yeah, I think that was that that was a will. Okay, I I because it, it was it was like a hatch under the floor in the house, right? There was a cistern filled with water. Yeah, that that's that's essentially a well. So it says, uh, let's see, he swept the boards clean and knelt and hooked his fingers into the ring and lifted the trap door and swung it open. Down there in the darkness was a cistern filled with water so sweet that he could smell it. He lay on the floor on his stomach and reached down. He could just touch the water. He scooted forward and reached again and lapped up a handful of it and smelled and tasted it and then drank. So, yeah, I, I think it, it's, it's a well of some kind. It's it's in the kitchen too. He just says he went back into the kitchen and got the broom, and then he comes across the tray with the, the the tank of charcoal, and then he sweeps the the floor where he finds the the green brass ring pool. So yeah, all of this is in the kitchen. Okay, so a a cistern refers to a tank for storing water. Maybe it's like a it's like a maybe it is connected to a well, especially because when he talks about it being sweet, that is kind of that does bring to mind the idea of well water. But I think I think it you know for all intents and purposes it's you know a cistern that he found inside the the, the structure. Yeah, I wonder if it's got fluoride in it. <laughs> well, I, I I think that it's, he's 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 safe. All of the 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 fluoride the fluoridation people are all probably long since dead. <laughs> uh, so he finds the water. It's it's the sweetest water he he can remember tasting, which is probably more so a comment on how he's been living and instead of a comment to the water itself and he finds these mason jars he cleans them out and he fills them and he takes the apples and the water to the boy and they have something to subside on while they continue onward because they'd been ostensibly starving at this point the apples don't really offer much but it's you know it's it's more than more than nothing so they continue on and they find another house, and once again the boy is terrified. Once again, it's pretty unfounded, but whatever. Uh, and he wants to leave. They and the man is super weak. They're basically at death's door at this point because it's been they've been out of apples for days. I don't know how they're surviving on on water because it doesn't really talk about how much water they go through or where they find them. It's not really important, but we just know that they're basically on their last legs. And in the yard, he finds the ground beneath him, there's like a wooden thud. So he gets the shovel, he digs out, and there's a there's a door, a hatch under the, the earth. And he eventually pries it up and goes down and he realizes it's a bomb shelter that was built before the war, obviously, or whatever, the nuclear blast. And it has not been touched. There is boxes upon boxes of food supplies water heat there's bedding there's plates cutlery every every it's a bomb shelter it's exactly you know one of those doomsday preppers it's something that they did and they just never had the 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 luxury of taking advantage of it before their death i don't know i would say that they have the good fortune of not taking advantage of it because if you live long enough to be in the shelter that means that what what's outside of the shelter is uh, maybe not worth living through. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is what we were referring to earlier uh, when we were talking, when we were being a little vague. I 
definitely think that there is a lot of positive connotation you can take from this because it is very much a chance to rest a chance for them to not necessarily start clean at least at least metaphorically literally they are starting clean uh but i would like to posit that this is actually the most depressing part of at least the section that we've read this week because all it has done is give the man and the boy uh the man a a reacquaintance the boy an introduction to what life used to be, at least in a very, very, very small vertical slice of mm-hmm. at least the comfort of warmth and uh, a bed to sleep on, some food that is, it, it's not the most, it's, it's not the best food that we eat uh, in, in our world at this point, but it's still miles upon miles better than anything that they've had probably than the boys ever had. I don't think the boys ever probably had cooked ham, biscuits, mashed potatoes. He's probably been living off of canned food and whatever they can scrounge. And a lot of this is canned food, but not quite. This is pretty luxurious, all things considered. They're able to take a bath, a warm bath, more or less, get a haircut, the man's able to shave, and it's it's with actual razors and all of this. And it's... It's it's a very fleeting moment. The man realizes that they cannot stay. I think they're only there for what four or five days tops. Yeah. Yeah, and they have to leave what they can't carry with them behind. They they do go to a store, uh, somewhere in the town, and they're able to find another shopping cart. So they're able to pack a lot of what they can fit in a shopping cart with them. So they they're not leaving ostensibly empty-handed. Only what they can carry on them. But they're still leaving the rest of it behind, and this is just... I think the the man himself at one point thinks that it is almost unfortunate that they found the bunker, because they were so close to death as it was, maybe it would have been better if they did starve and die. You know, that that is that is true. I mean, that, there, is, there is a truth to that. It's, but he's kind of come around that way went into the thinking of his wife that he was very not to keep bringing that up but it's just something that i've thought about a lot it's just like this idea of at what point is it and i think that's this something that i would say is one of the themes of this book it's kind of like what yes life may continue but is it worth it continuing and that's this is also kind of re kind this this ground is kind of retrod later when they find uh, a, a traveler, but before we go there, I mean, to to a certain extent, yes, I guess I guess they you know the end of their suffering would be a positive thing, but you know we kind of have to look at it from the perspective of uh, you know, and obviously by doing this they are essentially prolonging their suffering, I guess from a certain perspective, right? Because you have to be alive to suffer, but you know I I think. It, it, it's still incumbent on the father to try to, like he he he's toast, right? He's got he's got literary tuberculosis, you know. He's he's coughing up blood in increasing quantities now. He's having moments where he's feeling very weak and very. It's very difficult for him to continue. Um, so yes, it would be you know it it is kind of depressing from that standpoint. But he them finding this uh, this cache of food. 
is very, um, very extremely beneficial for from the standpoint of having his, uh, you know, son completing his mission of getting his son to the coast. It, it, it is, it's, on the one hand, it's a short-term gain in the sense that they have this quick break and it's going to sustain them for uh, may, maybe a couple of weeks before they're out of food and right back in the same position they were in before they found it. So it's a short-term gain in that regard. It's a long-term gain in this gain in the sense that they are. Um, it's it's gonna greatly increase their odds of making it to the coast as opposed to if they wouldn't have found it, they honestly probably would have died within a couple of days otherwise. So yeah, it, I I don't think it's necessarily supposed to be uh, a tragedy that they found the bunker. But I do think it is one of the more behind-the-scenes depressing sections of the book because of what it means moving forward, seeing that, that very small scope of what a not necessarily carefree life could have been, but a little more of, a, of what life could have or should have been that these uh that this 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 apocalypse is taken away and now that the kid has gotten a taste of it and now that he's back to being on the road being dirty being hungry being thirsty being constantly in fear not that he wasn't afraid while in the bunker but still without those those walls surrounding them and the and the warmth from the 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 heaters it's once again that ever present gnawing fear so I don't know. I definitely see how it could be taken as a as an overall positive, and it might be a net positive overall. But I I think we would be remiss not to mention a bit of the negatives that come from having that small luxury for those few days. Yeah, I think that's fair, and you know it does it does kind of remind me of like the joke we were making, you know, in the intro verse, and and which that we were referencing. Uh, the last during the first episode is like this you know the boy can't miss what he doesn't know you know (laughs) so it's it's like um so so by i understand like by kind of um introducing him to this uh relative luxury it's it's kind of you know putting him back into the world that he's he's lived in is going to it's the privation is going to feel even worse from a certain perspective yeah, so I don't know. I think it's it's better overall that they did find it, obviously because they survived longer for it. But and maybe if the kid ends up surviving and having something somewhat hopeful to look toward by the end of the book, um, it will be in no small part because of this bunker. So a relic of the past has helped some assurance of survival for the future. If, if that's the way that the end of this book plays out. I don't know. I've, I've never seen the movie, and I haven't read this book, and I really don't know anything about it past what we've read. I've somehow avoided spoilers for the last 17 years. Well, I think that's that's an interesting point you know, that you're making because it does kind of go in with something that the father refers to earlier where they're, they're, they he says that they are, you know, they're the good guys, yes, but they're they're keeping the flame. You know, this idea of that they are preserving um, 
by their survival they are preserving the what was good and 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 noble about humanity and that that is kind of like a similar concept that that you're kind of stringing along here it's like this idea of like these these um treasures figurative in the, in their context but like literal in this context will of the past will sustain us for the future that kind of thing yeah which speaking of the the keeping the flame uh i have only seen the movie no country for old men but mm-hmm. uh i saw recently uh, some talks about the book, or at least the book compared to the movie. I think this was mostly about the movie itself, but the the person I was watching uh, made some comments about the book as well. And it it seems, at least this person posited, that um, McCarthy takes something from his previous book and brings it forward to the next book. And uh, if you remember in the movie No Country for Old Men at the end when you have I don't remember the the character's name Tommy Lee Jones's character when he's talking to his wife about the dream he had I, I think it has to do with with his father and his father moving on on and and I, I think the point of it is his father has moved on to the next stage of his life in the afterlife so to say and he knows that when it's his time to go his father will be there waiting for him I think I think that's what I, it's been a long time. I, I could be flubbing some of the details here. Well, it's not. It's that's an interpretation. That's not really how it's presented. He he presents it very plainly. Like um, he he kind of gives it like an ambiguous um, kind of ending. Or he he kind of. Yeah, but I think you're right in interpreting. That's that's what the dream means. But it's just he he just gives you the symbols without any context yeah which i mean the main details aren't really the most important thing here but uh there's something he says about how his father oh i don't this is this is my bad memory showing here uh i don't remember if it's the father saying that he is carrying the flame and he is moving on so that when tommy lee jones comes to meet him he will have the flame to guide him i think that's what it was but he talks about having the flame and have and 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 uh and carrying the flame on or at least having his father do that um is that is that in the movie or in the book i don't remember him talking about a flame in the movie but I, I think this I is could, in the book I, okay uh so that's something that apparently because i i guess no country was the book before the road in terms of his bibliography mm-hmm. uh so that's something that i i've i've heard that is something he brought a concept that he established at the end of No Country that he brings forward into the road, which I think is really cool if, if that was his intention and that was that was something that he had planned and executed with both of those books, even though they have nothing to do with each other. I don't think The Road is a sequel to No Country for Old Men, but you have that, that similar thematic idea that is very loosely kind of established in No Country at the end, and this idea of of man bringing the flame, this like metaphorical flame, used as some sort of torch, this beacon for for advancement in the future or something like that, you know, kind of like what flame was for for humanity back 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 in the Stone Age, not the the caveman era, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. You have that same symbolism with the flame in in No Country, and then you bring that forward, and you have the man talking about. Uh, 
how him and the boy are the flame, and or they're carrying the flame rather. And I'm assuming that flame is supposed to be the flame of humanity, the the flame of of survival that is going to help lead them, not necessarily out of this apocalypse, but toward a future of mankind and, and not extinction. Uh, I can't take credit for a lot of this line of thinking. A lot of this is coming from that thing I watched where someone brought up the thing from No Country, and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And seeing it being reincor- reincorporated again, at least at least textually in the road. So this is not this is not me being big brain, super smart. Look at this theory I came up with. I, I had a lot of nudges in this direction, and basically was flat out told in other ways that these things because I haven't read No Country for Old Men. So this is just information I've been I've been given, but I, I do think that's really cool all the same. If that's what McCarthy intended with it, it's just a, a fun little tidbit that connects the books. Yeah, I I intend for us to get to No Country for Old Men at some point, and uh, that would be interesting to to uh, especially when we go through that book to kind of make that connection. See if you know see see what's actually there. Yeah, if I'd have known that prior, I might have picked No Country for Old Men instead of The Road, because that was a. I, I, when I was talking to you about the next book, uh, that was what I was down to. I was like, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, either No Country or The Road, and my thought process for The Road was both of us had never seen the movie and had never read the book, uh, but we've both seen No Country for Old Men, so maybe it would be more fun to do The Road first since it's something that we don't really have any prior knowledge to in one media form or another, whereas with No Country for Old Men, we'd both seen the movie, so we would we would be going in essentially knowing the, the... We would know the structure of the plot, more or less, and we would just be getting any additional details that the book would give us that the movie didn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe we can come back around to it, like I said. But I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily mind uh, doing the book, uh, doing the road. I think, you know, I, I think there's a lot to be said for the road. I, I, I liked, I really liked the movie No Country for Old Men. But there's, you know, I, I, I've appreciated the tackling something that's completely new. Yeah, and, and like I said, if I, if I'd have known about this, this thematic through line between the two books, I beforehand I would have picked No Country first because that would have made for possibly a more interesting thing to talk about when we got to the road second but now it's something I'm just kind of like oh this is what I've heard about the book so maybe we'll be able to in the final episode for No Country for Old Men when whenever it is that we cover that book because we will I, I'll tell you right now we will cover it I don't know when I don't know how or where or whatever but it is it will be done eventually by us uh, we'll probably come back to it at that point, but who, who knows? There's there's another um, little section before we move on. Um, you know, another another example of Saint Little Boy. Um, he's he offers like this sort of. I, I remember when they when they get to the the uh, into the bunker. He initially has a sort of. Um, I don't know, like a little bit of a question about, you know, are, are we, you know, why, you know, why are we taking this? You know, it's, it's kind of like this idea of, of him being a little bit like, are we stealing this? You know, there's a little bit of a moral ambivalence there in him. And he's so, you know, the, the man tells the boy that, you know, that they are, and this is, this is like a, a frame, a framework that he uses with his son to kind of like help him make sense of the world is like 
the 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 good guys and bad guys, right? And he he says that the that the people that made this this um place this the bunker that filled the bunker with supplies and stuff were good guys that died before they could get in there, and that the good guys would want them to have all the supplies and shelters, and and shelter you know and all that. Which you know we don't necessarily know you know what um, what what kind of people they were. I I would posit a lot of people that do have prepper bunkers are maybe not the kind of people I would get along with necessarily. But but you know th- this it, it works well enough for this kid, right? And he's he's able to accept the you know availing themselves of the bunker, and he has this sort of um, moment where he. He he gives this this prayer of thanks, you know, to to the the uh, people that had owned the bunker, and uh, you know that that's something that I I thought was very striking. Again, it's like this idea of this this little boy who's you know, you know he's he's it's just another example of him being this sort of symbol of of the innocence and the good of humanity that I found very striking. Yeah, it's just another. It's another in what will not be the last today of cases of the boy being a, a symbol of, of purity or innocence, something that was seemingly lost in, in, in this new world. But the maybe I don't know, maybe that's the flame that he's talking about is the is the, the, the this kid's innocence and purity. I think that is true. I think the boy to a certain extent when you tie it back to uh, the opening, right, where the the guy says um, he only knew that the child was his warrant. He said, "If he is not the word of God, God never spoke," right. And so the it's it's the idea of like you know the the in a lot of Christian iconography and that kind of stuff, like the the idea of like goodness and the holy the, you know being enkindled in your soul and your spirit is often represented by a flame. You know, enkindled by the Holy Spirit, or something, something to that effect. In a lot, I'm sure there's there's denominational differences, but that is a textually used, um, you know, metaphor. And so, I think that this is kind of a, 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 a an allusion to that in a certain way. Is it like the the boy, the he is keeping the flame of like this of the goodness of the innocence, you know. And I I, I think I think you correctly point that out. Is that the boy may be to a certain extent, the flame in and of himself. Yeah. So, I feel like... I, I It's, it's kind of tough to say. This is very much a... We could, we could theorize all we want, but we don't truly know. But I feel like they probably could have stayed in the bunker. I think the man probably could have come up with a better way to hide the bunker from anyone passing by. Because what he ended up doing, and he he admits this is a pretty flimsy ruse, but it will work for the time being, is he puts a mattress from the house over the the, the bunker door, because <laughs> he he can't he can't very well cover it back up with dirt. But I I feel like if if given enough time, he could have come up with something that would have hid them well enough to where somebody would have had to have been actively looking for something in order to find them. And I think that they maybe could have spent more time in the bunker, but... I I think that that is true, but you also have to take into account that he is working on a very short time frame. Like, his, his he has tuberculosis and is, and is, is dying 
you know, and we'll die soon. So I feel like he he has he has this feeling where like I think that that also influences him and why he doesn't stop is what you know is like this this idea that we have to I have to keep moving because I I don't have much longer left. Yeah, and I, that that probably has a a not small uh, part of his his line of thinking as to why, but. Yeah, it's just one of those things to where it just it sucks to see potentially all of those supplies not not really go to waste, but go to waste relative to them. Yeah, I I hope that some some other uh, good guys to use their framing find it, but uh, there's a part of me that fears that it's only going to be exploited by those terrible uh, cannibals and road agents. Yeah, so they're 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 forced to move on. And we get uh, probably one of the more, I don't want to say ambiguous, but I, I, I would like to say interpretational encounters in, in this section where they find an old man uh, who, is it, is, it, is it Ellie or Eli that he calls himself? I think it's pronounced Eli. Okay, because it was E-L-Y. And I was reading it as Eli, but I could understand somebody saying Ellie at the same time. But they find this old man named Eli, or he calls himself Eli, but he admits that that's not his actual name. And he says he's 90, but the man also doesn't believe that. He's been walking on the road. He has this thin stick he uses as a cane. Uh, he may be partially blind. I, I, I don't because it seems like he, he, he said he only really sees them in shapes more than anything else he probably has cataracts or something like that yeah so the boy wants to give him food the man does not but he loses that battle the boy wants him wants them to camp and have dinner together and essentially stay the night together the man does not but he loses that battle and they have this this conversation that can probably be probably be taken in, in a bunch of different ways about the, the state of the world, the state of people, the boy, God, all, all these things. And only really just a handful of pages, too, uh, which is interesting. And uh, then they, they part ways the next, the next day with... Uh, and the boy forces the man to essentially give away a couple of cans of food uh, before they, are, they all go on their separate ways. But um, something I want to talk about, about this, this encounter with the old man... Um, I don't. They, I I I want to start by asking, but this isn't exactly what I mean by this. Don't don't take this straight at face value. I'll break it down as best as I can if I can. But in a in a very like bare sense, do you think this old man was real? Yeah. Like. Like I, I think that he was physically there. He was present. He was a real person that existed. Um, but when I, what I, what I mean by, do you think this old man was real? It, like, do you think that he was? He exists to be some sort of not really a stand-in, but some sort of allegorical. I don't want to say stand-in. Um, but some sort of allegory that 
is more than just an old man that happened to be on the road. Uh, I, I guess for an example, in 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 some in some stories, you get something to where there's this 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 man that the character stumbles upon, and they're very strange and uh, unorthodox, and you you're you can't help but wonder how did this person get to this point? Because when you think about it logically, you can't really come up with anything, and then before you know it, that character is gone, seemingly vanished or something like that. And you're kind of left scratching your head. And there's the, there's the question of, was that, was that God that came to visit me or something like that? I, I, a good example off the top, off the top of my head, uh, I could think of is if you remember, there's that stranger in red dead redemption that you meet. And he seems to know everything about John Marston. And he, it's very like, not, not creepy, but very kind of, uh, unsettling and he seems almost uh not larger than life but almost um disconnected from from not life but like humanity but like almost like he's some sort of figure that exists outside the realms of mankind Mm -hmm. like i'm wondering if if the old man is something similar to that maybe i think i think that's that is a possible interpretation um I do think that there is that, that that is kind of at least thinking in the right direction overall because you know he he's calls himself Eli, and although it's spelled differently, he ref, you know he he is um you know the way he's talking about like things like uh, there is no God and we are his prophets. I think that's one of the things that he says, right? And so yeah, that was a line I actually wanted to pick out because that was a that was an interesting one. I know in in the book of Samuel, um, Eli is a is a prophet, um, so I think there might be a connection there. I I, I I I it's and you know their whole conversation does take on a sort of um, a sort of religious subtext and and sort of when they're talking about you know obviously you know they they say there is no God and we are his prophets, but they also kind of like. He refers to the sort of anthropomorphized idea of death and, you know, where he talks about how it'll be a good thing when there are no more people, when everybody is dead, and then even death itself will die. You know, after, you know, by, and he anthropomorphizes the death and says, like, he, he will realize he is by himself, and then he'll, he, he too will disappear. So, something like that. Um... So, I, maybe there is something to what you're saying. I think, I think he does, if he's not, like... A um, I, a non-human emissary of a greater power. I guess we'll put it. I'll, I'll put it that way to kind of. I think that's 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 a, a one way I, I might describe the the stranger from um, uh, what's it called from from Red Dead Redemption. Is like obviously he may he has a a human like form, but he does ha- like you said he has some sort of like uh, seemingly. Um, supernatural levels of knowledge you know i i I don't know that he is necessarily like that in this story um this character of eli but i do think he does stand in to give like to give an interesting exploration of these ideas you know yeah and i just i don't truly believe because um one of the things they talk about 
the man asks him how he's essentially still alive and still wandering the road at this point, and he gives some somewhat vague answers that he also kind of discredits at the same time about how uh, he doesn't travel with other people, which that's that's pretty clear. But mm-hmm. he he gets food from he gets food from strangers, and the man's like, "Oh, you get food from strangers?" He's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "What people give you strangers?" He's like, "Your boy did." And it's like, "Okay, well, sure." But I don't really truly believe that there are enough people like the boy in this world, um, both in terms of how many people are left alive in general and how many people that are left alive have the same sort of moral compass that the boy has that would stop and give some of their food to this old man who, realistically, if you were looking at it logically, could die any day now. It'd be a waste of resources, no different from the the, the man that was struck by lightning they found earlier. So I don't really believe that this old man has been getting by like that. And he does say, he, he does say you wouldn't want to hear about the ways that I've been scrounging for food. So... There is some idea of him scrounging for food in some less than desirable ways. I wouldn't throw out uh, cannibalism, but not quite in the same manner that uh, the men we encountered earlier were. No, he would, he would be like a scavenger, like a, a vulture equivalent. Yeah. He's not necessarily a predator. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, cause I, I doubt there's, there's really anything in the way of wildlife or insect life in this world. We, we haven't had anything said one way or the other about, about insect life, but I feel like a lot, if not most insect, uh, species probably would not, I'm sure cockroaches survive cause cockroaches survive everything, but I, I doubt you're finding, you know, caterpillars or obviously not anything like butterflies or insects that you could realistically use for some form of sustenance. Yeah, it does. It it seems to be pretty ambiguous on that point, like the ex- continued existence of insects. Yeah, and the man and the boy are scavengers in and of themselves. Everyone's a scavenger in this world. There's no one that isn't, and we we see how difficult they have had and yeah they've had some major strokes of luck in in the form of the 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 apples first and then the bunker which was just insane that that's probably the biggest find that any single group of survivors have found since this started that 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 the two found with the bunker uh so you can't feasibly rely on anything like that and the fact that this old man who claims to be 90 but could be higher or lower than that has still been just wandering the road as he says that he just constantly walks on the road because there there's really nowhere else for him to go that that's just what he does i i can't help but wonder if there is some not necessarily spiritual but some sort of like metaphysical context surrounding this man in, in some manner it could be it could be maybe you could you could maybe make the argument that he is death itself i don't know it's it's difficult because there's this passage where he talks about um when i saw that boy i thought i had died you thought he was an angel i didn't know what he was i never thought to see a child again i didn't know what would happen what if i said that he's a god the old man shook his head i'm past all that now have been for years 
Where man can't live, gods fare no better. You'll see. So maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe there's something to what you're saying. Is that 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 is kind of a, or maybe he's just a crazy old man. But it's just that you know that is an interesting um, exchange. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, he could be a 90 year old man who just has somehow survived wandering, and and that's that. But I I do feel like it's more fun to to wonder because when you look at it logically, and this is not at all a critique on on McCarthy's writing or of the book itself. Uh, I I think this is just more so more this this just adds more fun to the theory is that if you really look at it logically, there's a lot of holes in in how this man has survived, or at least the way that I see it, there's a lot of holes. And w- once again, I that, wouldn't say holes. I, I would be I'm strongly against saying that there's holes. I think it's just unexplained oh fair enough because a a hole implies a fault in the writing and that's not at all what i want to get across because i don't think that there's any continuity or logical fallacies in the book because of this old man's existence but yeah it does it does throw some questions out there that i think make you look at him as more than potentially just an old man on the road and i think it's much more fun to look at him as more than just an old man on the road so I, I I don't know. Well, but like I said, I think maybe you know you're thinking in the right direction. I think at least from the perspective of of like analyzing this as a text, I think there's something to be said for that. Maybe like I said, you know, there though there's something to be like. Okay, so when he talks about um, things will be better when everybody's gone, they will. Sure, they will. Better for who? Everybody. Everybody? Sure. We'll all be better off. We'll all breathe easier. That's good to know. Yes, it is. When we're gone at last, then there'll be nobody here but death, and his days will be numbered too. He'll be out in the road there with nothing to do, and nobody to do it to. He'll say, where did everybody go? And that's how it will be. What's wrong with that? Maybe, you know, maybe he is referring to himself there. If we, if we are to take on this sort of he is a, a sort of like metaphysical creature. Maybe he is the avatar of death. I don't know. I'm kind of coming around to your point of view there because you know it. It it, it is very challenging to right to imagine this idea of of um, of uh, of the of this 90 year old man that has survived. You know, not only the initial uh, disaster, but has survived. You know, at least. Uh, let's let's call it eight years post-apocalypse. You know, to, we're just I guess guessing the boy's about eight. He was born pretty much concurrent with the apocalypse. Let's say it's been about eight years. You know, I don't know. Maybe there's something to what you're saying. I think it's it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, and even if if you don't want to look at it as anything more than just an old man they found, he still exists as yet another, but I would argue very important uh, example of the purity of the boy he was not at all thankful for the the child giving him you know basically convincing the father to to give him all you know give him the food that they did he was like and he did not want to give the child even his things like his name he was just he was just this just wretched old unthankful man and I was just like, if if my child that is a, a manifestation of the good in humanity gives you uh, gives you sustenance on the road, 
you had better be thankful to him. That 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 was that was very very distasteful to me that he was not thankful seemingly for uh them keeping him alive another few d- days at least. Well, in that regard, he's no different than the man because the man even tells him if it was up to me, you would have you'd have gotten nothing from us. It's because of the boy that you got anything. And the man himself says, if it was up to me, if I was in your position, I wouldn't give you anything either. So there's at least that mutual understanding. And I don't think it's necessarily... I, I feel like if you want to villainize the old man for that, you have to also villainize the man for saying, I wouldn't have given you anything if it was up to me. See, no, I disagree. The fact that he didn't give him anything is all the more... Wouldn't have given him anything is all the more reason to be thankful to the boy to for to actually talk him into giving him something like it, that's all i'm saying look if i'm if i'm the protector or father of the or ward protector of some sort of ward in the post apocalypse and someone does not thank them i'm taking it back i'm sorry i'm like i'm 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 like saying to the boy okay yeah go on going down the road for a little bit i'll i'll be right behind you and then i'm i'm jacking it right back from that old man <laughs> and and catching back up like yeah. say thank you come on <laughs> It, it it is a small gesture, and I, I it would not have cost him anything but a moment, sure. But in in this like super jaded world, I definitely can can see both sides of of that argument. So they're walking, they're, you know, they they part ways with the old man. Okay, so yeah, so the father's condition is worsening. Um, you know, it, we see he's kind of he's coughing. You know, it's um, in the night he woke in the cold dark, coughing, and he coughed until his chest was raw. You know, so he's he's getting he's getting there. Um, he knelt there, wheezing softly, his hands on his knees. I am going to die, he said. Tell me, how am I to do that? You know, it's he's 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 basically um, on his last legs, and I think that, like I said, that's why they probably had to move on so quickly from from the bunker. And uh, so they're they're. Uh, so he, he they're moving along and uh they they have to stop I think for at least for a couple of days because the father he just keeps getting sicker and sicker and then he just has to uh he has to stop and they they ha- they wait there for a few days um They find a train. Let me is was there anything important with the train? Uh, I don't think there was anything super important other than it just being another relic of the past that they just kind of marvel at for a little bit and they move on. Yeah, there's yet another meditation on, on the the world that has been lost. Um, oh, no, that was actually before he, he stayed there. For, yeah. The, three days, four, he slept poorly. The racking cough woke him, sucking gasps of air. I'm sorry, he said to the pit- pitiless darkness. It's okay, said the boy. So yeah, he he's he's not doing so good. Um, okay, here's another thing that it's 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 interesting that kind of shows how the relationship of the the boy and the man has kind of developed. Is like one night the boy woke from a dream and would not tell him what it was, which is a a departure. And you know now that I I think about it, I I'm reminded of something that happened with the old man. Also, is there's another like where the old man asks if the boy believes in god the man the father says i don't know what he believes so that that does kind of speak to a certain um estrangement or at least you know if not like a, it shows like there's there's a gap between the father and the son that i think has kind of grown 
a little bit from when you compare it to the beginning of the book. Um, And here, the boy is not telling him about his dream, whereas before, you know, in other similar sequences, the boy will tell him about it. And I I think it's it's kind of interesting in that respect. And uh, so he he also says, um, this is something that the father says that's kind of interesting to me. When your dreams are of some world that never was, or of some world that will never be, and you are happy again, then you will have given up. Do you understand? And you can't give up. I won't let you. You know, it's it's this idea about... Um, and this is something that I find interesting, is like, the father seems very distressed. Like, when he has pleasant dreams, or memories of of the uh, of the old world, or of his wife, or th- things that are positive, he has this... Um, negative emotional response to them and i think i think he's it is his belief that those things are um in some ways like an acceptance of of death or of like it's like it's it's akin to this idea of like people seeing the light at the end of the tunnel you know like like i'm dying and they going into the light that kind of idea um i think i think he views it as something very similar um, he, he he feels like the, the the persistent misery and fear shows that you are um, tuned into to the world around you, and these sort of um, positive uh, dreams and whatnot are, are are indicative of your mind wandering or accepting death. And so I I think that that's kind of an interesting concept there. Um, Maybe it's it's in a similar sense to when you freeze to death at the end you feel a warmth and that's your body essentially shooting you full of uh, adrenaline as you die yeah i think it 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 is a similar a very similar contract that, that, or at least that's his belief right i think that's what the father believes um and i think that's that that's an interesting um development I guess and that kind of shows uh, the the estrangement of the father and the son. Like the son still is holding on to like these ideas of like you know, of the generosity and charity and 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 all those and and, and goodness and he, you know and the father he he is he's too I guess confronted with the realities of the world around him and it's it's kind of it's it's. And also, it, it kind of ties back in with, like, when the boy was talking about how he missed his mother, and his father was like, you can't talk about that, you should never talk about that. It does kind of kind of show, like, this idea of, like, this. the boy, in some ways, is more um, mentally well-adjusted than the father, I would say. The father, in some ways, is, is, is trying, what he, he, I don't know that he's necessarily successful, but he is imparting... The, the some of the lessons that he imparts to his son are seemingly the wrong lessons rel- especially relative to our world but i think if there is to be a sort of um rise of civilization from this you know post this apocalypse which you know i'm i'm eventually there would be i mean humans are social creatures and unless like the, the there's like truly no way to ever reliably could get some amount of food um there you know i i think eventually humans are are social creatures they will eventually find some way to to recreate 
some semblance of a society. And if that is to happen, you need to have traits that are more like the boy than like the father. So I think I think there's kind of an interesting um, dichotomy of ideas there. Yeah, for sure. So the last thing we uh, we have in this section of the book is as they're traveling on the road, they find a section that has been very, very badly burned. Uh, I, I don't know if this is the result. I don't know if this may be like a ground zero or something or something around it. Uh, but there's it, it, the road itself has seemingly melted and reformed from the extreme heat and there are there are corpses everywhere that are that are just the remains of of burned bodies and there's signs of even the bodies themselves being picked of anything that they might have had there's all of their their artifacts strewn about in various forms of of melting and it's it's this i don't want to necessarily say grotesque picture but it's it's almost this um it, it's it's almost like it's a moment in time that seems to have been immortalized through the fire yeah it's it, it reminds me of like like when you see bugs in amber it's kind of like that because there's like these bodies that are like half melted into the the remnants of the blacktop and it's it, it refers to them also as like uh Figures half mired in the blacktop, clutching themselves, mouths howling. Um, and then it says things like, uh, <clears throat> The black skin, you know, referring to the tar from the road, stretched upon their bones and their faces split and shrunken on their skulls, like victims of some ghastly and vacuuming. You know. It uh, paints, a, paints a pretty uh, pretty terrifying picture. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I will say this about um, Cormac McCarthy. He is very, um, he is definitely one of the more grim writers I think I've ever <laughs> I've ever read. In his uh, ability to capture um, uh, potentially the worst of human extremity, yeah, the most most extreme circumstances. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you, it's just one of those things like. You don't really see a lot of in in post-apocalyptic settings is these these very these very extreme causes of death that uh, may not necessarily elicit a positive reaction from the viewer. So, mm-hmm. no, I think there's something very. Um... I guess real about what he you know he he describes it because I think a lot of people and um, it's hard I I don't necessarily want to make a moral judgment based on people enjoying a particular kind of um, a particular genre of of uh, of like a of fiction but I think there's a lot of people that like things like um like zombie movies or zombie stories or post-apocalyptic stories they like them for what i would regard as the wrong reason like they they like them because they like to envision themselves as this sort of conquering survivor 
you know, unencumbered by the rules and and uh, mores of contemporary society. Like there's the I think there's something they they because they they envision themselves as the the alpha, the predator, the you know the 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 survivor. Whereas I think they they avoid and I think sometimes the way that things are written and structured, it kind of lends into that. So these stories that should be about society and about people and about you know more more uh, interesting ideas, they they kind of become power fantasies instead. And I think that is something that Cormac McCarthy is very good at here. At steering out of this idea, this power fantasy, um, you know, situation and showing you, no, this is about as grim and horrific as you could possibly imagine. Yeah. I find myself, at first this was something that took some getting used to because it's very outside the norm in terms of its its format and writing and not even so much like uh house leaves was which was a very very extreme example but so much so in the sense that as we said in the first one there's very little punctuation there's no chapter breaks and it's 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 a very weird book to um to get accustomed to but i feel like once you do it it does read enough like a standard novel that a lot of these hang-ups that you might have had, that I definitely had at first because of these unorthodox methods that McCarthy used, they kind of go away. and Or they, they don't go away, but you stop noticing them. It's it's like when you watch a movie and uh, it has the, uh, the letterboxing mm-hmm. because of the aspect ratio. Eventually you stop paying attention to the, blo- to the boxes on the side of your screen and you just, you're just watching the movie. It's, it's. I feel like it's a similar thing here with McCarthy's writing style, and I am at least glad that the human brain works like that, to where you once you get used to it, you it kind of it kind of shuts off that that analytical side of you that picks those things out initially, because this book is very, it's good. It, this is a good book, and I'm glad that I am able to get past those those literary hang-ups that I had initially in order to enjoy this to the extent that I feel like it should be enjoyed so far. Yeah, uh, I think that's very true. I think, you know, and I, I also did kind of struggle with it to a certain extent also. I, I had to, um, you know, I, I, I was ta- a little taken aback by the way it was written, but, like, once your brain adjusts, and it took me about, I don't know, 20, 30 pages, maybe more, but somewhere around there. You know, you, you can you can actually come to grips with what, what's more important in the book, which is, like, the very, you know, uh, captivating depiction of the relationship of, of the father and the son. You know, the, you come to grips with the, the, the more important themes. And I, I, think, I think that is definitely... Um, to Cormac McCarthy's credit as a writer. Yeah. But I think that'll just about do it for us this week. Yeah. Uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, coming along with us down the road one more uh, one more time. Uh, I think we've got one one more uh, episode left on, on uh, reading the book. And um, I don't know. Very excited. Looking forward to uh, checking out the resolution of this book. But, you know, thank you everybody for watching. I'm Daniel. I'm Dusty. And thank you for tuning in to the Sad Boys Book Club.
We'll see you next time. Take care.